This is the Inherit Dream Podcast Network. Welcome to the Trevor J. Brown Show. The Trevor J. Brown Show is meant for an adult audience. The Trevor J. Brown Show may contain explicit language and topics. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show. Be a part of the show and email us at inherentdream at yahoo.com. Visit our website at inherentdream.com. And now, your host, Trevor J. Brown. Ah, uh, yeah. Welcome into another edition of the Trevor J. Brown Show right here on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Another week. Another stellar show lined up for you. Tonight, we will be joined by a couple of authors. I'm very excited to talk to A.J. Sullivan and also Benjamin Sonic. Both Ben and A.J. joining us here this evening. We also have a celebration, an ode, if you will, to one of my favorite actors and funny men, one of my favorites of all time, John Candy who passed away back in 1994. But we start off tonight with, in a way, a public service announcement. Lots of scams out in the world today. And when we think about scams, sure, there's scams that target anyone and everyone, but a lot of times us as younger people, I'm, I'm 36, I'm a millennial, But a lot of us think of scams that target our parents, our grandparents. And those scams do exist, but for us, we need to remember that there's people trying to scam you too. So I've seen this going around quite often lately. And it's all tied to LinkedIn and Facebook, and a lot of our other social media. So this is an acquaintance of mine from high school, and I won't give her her personal information. But she shared online, she was very excited, and she was going to be starting a job here in the middle of the month. She came to find out that she was being scammed. Now, she did not give personal information, but this company that was online that she found on LinkedIn, they went above and beyond to make it sound like a real job. So I think, you know, if this person is listening, she obviously has a good sense of what seems right, what seems wrong. And in these situations, you have to trust your gut. So the story is this company that had this job posted online, this fake job, once she applied for the job, the company wanted her to wire them a good amount of money. There's strike one. I I don't have money for me. I'm not going to be wiring you anything, okay? But they wanted her to wire them a good amount of money to buy a computer to work at home. But they would not cover the other equipment, but they would cover the other equipment with a check that ended up being fake. So luckily she never bought anything. 
They sent her a check and everything, and then they wanted her to send six American Express cards at $500 a piece so she could start working on the middle of the month, in the middle of the month. I, I, if these people do this, if, if they operate in, in, in a scam, I'm sure they get some idiots to actually do all of this stuff. But who is that naive? I mean, thank goodness this person, this acquaintance of mine from high school, thank goodness she was smart enough to be like, Hey, uh, I'm not going to buy my own computer and I'm not going to wire you money and I'm not going to send you some gift cards back in the mail. But there are people out there that they hear this and they're like, Oh, this is just part of the plan. Oh, I found it online. It must be legit. Just because you see it on Facebook or just because you see it on LinkedIn or just because you see it on Twitter or some other website. I mean, any idiot can build a website Look at inherentdream.com. I built that with the help of Squarespace. I mean, but it doesn't it doesn't take we don't we don't need uh Bill Gates to be uh, to be, or Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk to be building the websites. I mean, come on. I did that. Those guys are clearly smarter than me, but I'm I'm making a point here. So there are people out there that they read this and they're like, wow, this is, this is kind of different, but I guess this is how they operate. And this wasn't a local company. So now I I believe what she said was this company was based out of Florida or something. So with now being able to work from home after COVID and, and all of that stuff, and these, these, a lot of companies are being more flexible in what they're offering well, hey, I can work from home and I can work for a company that's based out of Florida or Ohio or Colorado or wherever, and I don't have to be in their office. I can do phone work or I can do filing work or data work or whatever. There's a lot of different things you can do online now. Maybe, well, maybe data filing. Not filing work like in an office, but you get what I mean. But think about that. Hey, uh, for you to start working with us, we need you to buy your own computer. I'm going to, but you need to wire us the money. Well, no, if I'll just go out and buy the computer, then I own the computer, idiot. Why would I ever send somebody money to buy my own computer to work from home? And then where, where they really get you is... Why am I sending you gift cards or the, or they, they wanted American express cards sent to them $500 a piece. Where are these operations to run stuff like this? You have to have a bank account somewhere, right? Don't you have to have some form of an account to have transactions to have money to wire money. So is the, my question on these is, are are the banks involved too on these scams? Like does somebody that is running this organization that's doing the scamming, do they have somebody on the inside at a bank somewhere that kind of looks the other way or they're getting a percentage of this? 
Because how does how does that fly by? To wire money, you have to have some established, this is who I am at a bank. You can't just have money come into a bank and be like, oh, I don't know who this is, but oh, I'm just going to go pick up my money today. But the bank's not going to know who I am. Every time you go into a bank, even if you have been a customer there for a while, if you're doing certain business, they will probably require some form of ID. I mean, thank goodness, and I and I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray that I don't have to get involved with identity theft ever again in my life. Knock on wood, knock on wood. I've had to deal with that before where some idiot steals your credit card number and they're buying a washer and dryer set in Atlanta, Georgia, and you've never been to Georgia, or they're buying really nice Italian leather boots somewhere over in Europe and you've never been out of the country. And luckily for me in those situations, the credit card company has handled them, uh, handled the charge. I haven't had to pay anything back. They shut the card down. They reissued me a new card. It was fantastic. I mean, the, the, the credit card companies, they have huge fraud departments. They know when these charges are, are BS, but it's still scary. And I don't ever want to deal with that ever again in my life. But I, I question sometimes when you hear these things on the radio or TV for identity theft protection, And yes, I think that's important to a point, but some of the stories that these people share, and maybe I'm too naive, but some of the stories that people mention are somebody stole my identity and bought a new car in my name. Every time in my life that I've ever purchased a new car, and it hasn't been a lot, I've purchased two new cars in my life. But when I go to a car lot and you purchase a car, they always make you show an ID. So if you're not in person and you don't look like the person on the ID, how is that car lot allowing you to drive a car off the lot? How are they allowing you to purchase the car? Unless somebody at the car lot is involved in the little scam. See, that's what I don't get. When you actually go to these places, I don't know, maybe there's more shoddy businesses elsewhere in the country, but when I'm going to buy a car, you got to show your ID. You got to, they, they, part of the pain in the butt with buying a new car or a used car is you're at the car lot and you're haggling over price and you're sitting there and you're doing paperwork. It's not a get in, get out type of experience. And if it is, I want to know where are these places? Where are these places where you can go buy a new or used car? I just hop in and I hop out. I didn't have to show any ID, but I bought a car uh, and I used some other guy's uh, name. Now he has the loan in his name and I don't. I don't understand it. I, I don't understand how things like that happen. So thank goodness that this high school acquaintance was really smart. So when you're looking at these job offers on Indeed or LinkedIn, I'll tell you what, trust your gut. My gut is a big gut. I'll tell you that. Well, part of that doesn't have anything to do with intuition. Part of that is just, I like food, but trust your gut, trust your intuition. If anything ever makes you think like, oh, I don't know. That seems, that seems a little off. I don't know about that. I don't know if I like that. Trust your gut and go with it because odds are if you're skeptical, 
You should be. Never be wiring people money. Who's wiring people money anymore? I mean, I, I'm sure I know people. I th- this is this is me being naive. I know people wire people money. You have you know, oh my, I need a train ticket home. I need this. I need that. Yeah, I, airline ticket, whatever. I get that. But who's wiring strangers money? I have never met you before. This is for a job. And I'm just going to send you a ton of money so I can buy a computer. Well, if I'm buying the computer to work from home, why am I giving you any money? I will own the computer myself and it's my property. Oh, and you also wanted the, uh, the gift cards to Hooters. I'll send those right away. You wanted the, uh, American express cards. Uh, what else can I get you? You want something for best buy? Can I uh, mail that out to you as well? I mean, come on. Some of these, some of these, they, whoever's running these scams. Uh, look, I, I don't know what these people look like. It doesn't matter what they look like, but a lot of these from, from what you hear is they're, they're foreigners that are, are running these, these call center type scam places. I don't know. Maybe they're lily white people too. I, I, they probably are there that the, the look doesn't matter, but the, these people, if they are not from America, you know, and they come here or perhaps they're running it from overseas. I don't know. They, they must just laugh at us because some people, they wouldn't do it unless people actually fell for it. That's the thing that's crazy. So I don't know if they are foreign or if it's just Americans taking advantage of Americans, but whatever. But when you, you see some of these stories where it's like on the national news, oh, we busted this place. They were scamming senior citizens out of uh, food money, blah, 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 blah. Always trust your gut. And I'll tell you, if you're picking up the phone for anybody these days, you're an idiot. That's strike one right there. Don't even pick up the phone. If it's important, they'll leave you a message. If it's more important, they'll send you a letter. You know, the IRS, I'm pretty sure doesn't even do communication over the phone. They send letters. That's why the government is so backed up on (laughs) on different correspondence. They, they have certain things in place. So if you have some shady person calling you for your bank account information and tax information and all of that, I would hang up the phone. Always be cautious. That's, that's the, the, the whole purpose of talking about this on the program tonight. Be cautious of people trying to take advantage because there will always be people in this world that'll try to take advantage of you. Just be safe out there. Plenty more to come on the program. We will be joined by authors Benjamin Sonic and also A.J. Sullivan tonight. But up next, we celebrate a great career of one of my favorite funny men and also a pretty damn good actor, too, John Candy. The Trevor J. Brown Show. Looking to buy or sell online but don't know where to start? Look no further than Jensen Sales Plus. JSP makes buying and selling online easy. From Craigslist to Amazon, eBay to Etsy, they can help you with it all. Check out their website for more information, JensenSalesPlus.com. That's JensenSalesPlus.com. I felt it necessary tonight to have a segment, an ode, if you will, a celebration of John Franklin Candy, who was born on Halloween 1950. He passed away March 4th of 1994. So I saw 
last week it come up in my news, sort of a remembrance of, of John Candy, because last week was the date he passed away in, in 1994. So I thought, you know what? John is one of my favorite actors and one of my favorite funny men. And he's a, a, a person, an actor that I always think, well, what if? What if he didn't pass away? What type of roles would, would he have been in? What type of movies would have really fitted him well? And I'll get to that more in a second. But, of course, actor and comedian. He rose to fame in the 1970s as a member of the Toronto branch of the Second City and its sketch comedy series. He grew to prominence with his roles in comedic films in the 1980s. He was in Stripes. He was in Splash. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Spaceballs. The Great Outdoors. Uncle Buck. Cool Runnings. He also had supporting roles in The Blues Brothers. Home Alone. National Lampoon's Vacation. And he also started doing some dramatic roles as well. In JFK and only the lonely. In addition to his work as an actor, he was a co-owner of the Toronto Argonauts of the Canadian Football League, and the team won the 1991 Grey Cup under his ownership. John Candy passed away March 4, 1994, while filming Wagons East. A spokeswoman said that his cause of death was a heart attack in his sleep. In addition to obesity, he tended to binge eat in response to professional struggles and weighed in excess of 300 pounds at some points in his life. Candy had a number of risk factors for heart attack. He smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. He also used drugs and alcohol. But he was concerned about his weight. At one point, he lost 100 pounds over a summer while preparing for a new film role. Listen to some of these great movies he was in. 1980, The Blues Brothers. 1981, he was in Stripes as Dewey Ox Oxburger. You know, I've never seen Stripes all the way through. I know some of you are probably rolling your eyes right now. 1983, National Lampoon's Vacation with Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. If National Lampoon's Vacation is not in your top 10 list of funniest movies of all time, I don't know what would be in your top 10. Oh, that is it's such a funny movie. So John Candy plays Ross Lasky. He doesn't appear on screen until about, oh, 96% of the movie through. He plays one of the security guards at Wally World. <laughs> it's so, so funny. Oh, I love that movie so much. National Lampoon's Vacation. The other one's not nearly as good. He was in Splash in 1984. 1987 was a big year for him. He played Barf and Spaceballs. <laughs> and then also Del Griffith in Planes, Trains, and automobiles. He was Chet in The Great Outdoors. Great Outdoors came out in 88. In 89, Uncle Buck as Buck Russell. 
1990 Home Alone. He was Gus Polinski, the polka king of the Midwest. I heard that uh, John Candy, I don't know if, if any of this is true. Sometimes you just see things online. And well, again, we all assume things are true. We talked about it in the first segment. Oh, there's a job online and they want uh, me to pay them a ton of money to go work for them. And I have to buy my own laptop, but then wire them the money. Oh, that seems leg- legit. A lot of us think that that uh, all these things we see online are true. So maybe this is true. Maybe it's not. But for Home Alone, he's only in the movie as like a little bit part. And he filmed all of his stuff in like one day. It actually says here in the credits, Gus Polinski dash Polka King of the Midwest. <laughs> 1991. This is the pivotal year for me in his career. Because there's two movies that he's in. I haven't seen, I've never seen JFK. So it's obviously a dramatic movie. Only the Lonely shows such great depth for John Candy. And this is my point. He was a funny man. Yes, he was in some some hilarious movies. Home Alone, National Lampoon's Vacation, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uncle Buck. Yes, yes, yes. There's even parts in Uncle Buck, though, that I feel are, are show his acting. And even Plain Strings and Automobiles. It turns back to comedy at one point, but Uncle Buck, at, at, at points in that movie, he's, he's sort of struggling. He's struggling with alcohol. He's struggling with going to the track and gambling. And you, you see that. It's not huge, long parts of the movie. But there's little glimpses into these movies that show you that John Candy would have, if he did not pass away, I firmly believe that John Candy would have become one of those types of actors where, yes, he could do a funny role, he could do a straight-up comedy, but he also could do a movie like JFK. He could do a movie like Only the Lonely. If you don't know Only the Lonely, it's directed by Chris Columbus, produced by John Hughes, Maureen O'Hara is in it. It's her final film role. Ali Sheedy is in it and Anthony Quinn. So talk about an absolute stellar cast. So John Candy plays this police officer. It's in Chicago. His mom is overbearing and dating has become rather difficult for, for the John Candy character. And it's, it's a love story. But there's there's some other things that are going on in Maureen O'Hara is this this overbearing mother. And it's just it's very good film. It's funny, but it's also drama as well. So if if you want to watch a John Candy movie that you've never seen before, I would recommend Only the Lonely. But those two movies, Only the Lonely and JFK. Again, I haven't seen JFK, but a lot of people uh, enjoy that movie directed by Oliver Stone, a political thriller. Um, But those two movies are probably great examples of what John Candy would have done eventually in his career. So after that, he was in a couple of uh, other movies, including The Announcer. He's uncredited as Cliff Murdoch in Rookie of the Year. <laughs> the, the line in Rookie of the Year that I love... Uh, where John Candy's sitting there and the Cubs go for their biggest winning streak of the season. Two. (laughs) 
And then he also appeared in uh, Cool Runnings and his final movies in 94, uh, Wagons East, and then in 95, Canadian Bacon. But I feel like I'll give you three examples of movies that John Candy could have been in that he would have absolutely thrived in. One is my one of my favorite movies of all time. So I bring this up, not that I criticize the movie at all, because I feel like this movie is damn near perfect. Because it has Bill Murray in it too. But imagine John Candy in a movie like Lost in Translation. Imagine that. Now, Bill Murray was up for an Oscar for that type of movie. So I am putting John Candy in some high regard because I feel like John Candy had that depth. He had that type of face that you could see him in a dramatic role like something like that and really feel for a character. Again, I'm not criticizing that movie at all or Bill Murray's performance. It's one of my favorite films of all time. It's one of my favorite performances of all time. And I still, even though it's awards, and I know who cares about awards, that sort of thing, I still feel bad for Bill Murray because that would have been his year to get the Oscar, but he went up against Sean Penn from Mystic River, and that performance is legendary. It's, it's, wow. Another movie, an ensemble-type movie like A Little Miss Sunshine. He could have been the the Steve Carell part. Steve Carell's great in that movie. But when you watch a movie like that next time, think of like John Candy in that type of role, an ensemble type role. And maybe something a little bit more serious, a movie like Spotlight, an ensemble piece, John Candy would have just excelled in a, in a film like that. So we uh we remember John Candy cuz he was taken from us way 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 too soon. At uh, only only 43 years old. He died in Mexico March 4th of 1994. So a special last call, if you will, to uh, to John Candy. We raise a frosty mug. If I had to to put on my my favorite John Candy works, and unfortunately there's there's not a lot of them. He didn't have a very long career. But if I'm going to spotlight John Candy, if I'm having a John Candy movie night, you know, there's there's great performances, there's great bit parts of things that he's in. National Lampoon's Vacation is one of my favorite funny movies of all time. He's not in it a whole lot. So if I'm but if I'm picking John Candy type movies, I'm going Plane Strains and Automobiles for sure. No particular order. Plane Strains and Automobiles, I'm going Uncle Buck, and I'm going Only the Lonely. It's those three, hands down, every time. We have authors A.J. Sullivan and Benjamin Sonic joining us here tonight on the Trevor J. Brown Show. Those interviews are next. The Trevor J. Brown Show. Come along with the Inherent Dream Podcast Network and promote your business, and let's make the next year a record year. The Inherent Dream Podcast Network is home to the Trevor J. Brown Show and 763 The Local with more shows debuting soon. Our advertising packages are super affordable and will get your message in front of thousands. Unique and entertaining podcasts and content being produced right here in central Minnesota. Support local. Interested in learning more? Connect with us at InherentDream at Yahoo.com. The Inherent Dream Podcast Network. This isn't business as usual. 
You are listening to the Inherent Dream Podcast Network, kind enough now to be joined by author Benjamin Sonic. You can find more about him on the Fox Point Publishing website, which is foxpointpublishing.com backslash author dash Benjamin dash Sonic, and that's S-O-N-N-E-K. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? Hey, so far so good. Well, let's talk about the new book. It's it's called Cyberwood, and I, I love the 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 first line of of sort of the the bio of this book. Cyberwood used to be their shelter, now it's turning against them. What was the inspiration behind this new book? Well, honestly, it was one of those stories that kind of demanded to be written, if only because of well, at least for me, how unusual it was the way it kind of came up. Because for me, when it comes to stories, uh, whether it be fiction or journalism, it's usually it's kind of like you have the story first and then sort of the story structure and then about 100 steps down the line, naming everything. Because I will concede that is one of my weak points as an author. But Cyberwood was weird because at one point I'm just considering like, okay, science fiction, we've got cyber cybernetic humans and sometimes cybernetic animals are involved too. We don't get an awful lot of like, you know, cybernetic plants. Because, mm-hmm. well, first of all, not a lot of people see plants as uh, very terrifying, which is uh, probably a scathing indictment on our bio- biology classes. It's like, it kind of seems like that would be one of the more natural places for it to go first. And then when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, okay, well, what if this was a forest? And then the name Cyberwood just kind of blasted into my head from there. Like, I wrote it down in my writing notebook with the date that I did it. So, I mean, if I had it on hand, I could tell you exactly when the Cyberwood name was born. And then later on... Uh, Fast forward a year or two, I'm working, I have lunch breaks, and it's the month of November, and NaNoWriMo's in full speed. I've never participated in it before, but I figured, oh, at some point, I got to take off that writing box, and here I have this concept that just won't let me go. So I wrote Cyberwood. I did complete 50,000 words by the 25th, and then took a quick break, and then wrapped it up around 94,000 words, and the rest is history, and a lot of editing. Is, is this your first book, Ben? Uh, first published book, certainly. First written book, not so much, which is why it's uh, good. So but, with, it, yeah. with it being your first published book and going mm-hmm. going through that process for the first time, was, was the process intimidating in a way? I mean, it would kind of – you think it would kind of feel like that, especially because, you know, Fox Point Publishing isn't like – uh, how to choose my words carefully here. I'd say like established publishing. When I think that, I think, you know, Penguin Random House or something like that. But honestly, especially with a good hybrid publisher like Fox Point, they're really good at like walking you through the steps. Mm-hmm. The contract is clear and understandable. And there's a lot going back and forth and, you know, seeing what you want as an author. And in fact, one of the more flattering things that uh, came out of this was uh, after they reviewed the manuscript of Cyberwood, and, you know, we're making me the offer, uh, Chelsea and Kirsten, they mentioned that, you know, you know, we usually have all of these multiple stages of editing, which is really good. But they're also like, we can also tell that this book has been very edited. Like we can't <laughs> find like, a lot of like we can't find like a lot of cracks in the story or any real problems with the prose or anything. Mm-hmm. So it was basically combining a lot of the editing steps. So it really streamlined the process like. Right about now is approximately like the one-year anniversary of the acceptance, which for a first-time author, that's a heck of a turnaround. Did you edit the book yourself? Well, uh, initially, I mean, then I I go over, I hammered it through. I went to some beta readers to get their impression, got really helpful impression before I went to uh, 
other submission areas. And I did a little bit of querying with it too, just to kind of gauge what agents and other publishers might think of it, mostly agents. And yeah, from there that kind of started it. But then when we got to, we got to uh, Fox Point Publishing and Chelsea working with me through that. Yeah. Then, you know, it got really involved and we're both just nitpicking our way through this <laughs> and it, it was great. And uh, one thing that one of the, Chelsea did pay me one of the highest compliments anyone's ever given me on my writing in that process. And it was uh, basically she would have to occasionally catch herself because uh, she'd just start reading the story and like forget, oh, wait, no, I'm supposed to be editing this. <laughs> so I hope that means the story yeah. is engaging. Benjamin Sonic joining us here. Would you say, Ben, that, that sci-fi is, is your favorite genre? Yeah, I would say that, but with a big asterisk attached to it. Because uh, judging by like my book diet growing up and um, the way I write now, something tells me I'm almost I'm a little more of a fantasy fan in disguise. I mean, I love science. I do like science fiction and like the the way it's at least semi grounded in some form of well. I suppose the re- reality as we know it, although even a good magic system can be put in there too, but Cyberwood and is kind of in the vein of like soft science fiction, which is, uh, well, there's a reason why one of the tags in this book is fantasy, and I will keep it there, especially one of the main terms is technomantris and technomancer and stuff like that. And although there is a, there is a good deal, like there are, there's a little bit of, I'd say, a little bit of my STEM brain does leak out into this too, especially uh, when it comes to how the trees are manipulated. Although a good hard science fiction can sometimes work well too. Like I do like reading through, uh, through Andy Weir's The Martian. First of all, I mean, it's just wonderful book, very engagingly written. Uh, I love rereading it. And you get some good hard science in there too, which is stuff I normally bleep over, but the way it's presented is just wonderful. So yeah, I do... I love sci-fi. I love the aesthetic, but part of me kind of wonders if I didn't accidentally, you know, fall out of the fantasy nursery ward, you know? Benjamin Sonic joining us here on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network, foxpointpublishing.com. For more information, that full web address, foxpointpublishing.com, backslash author dash Benjamin dash Sonic, and that's S-O-N-N-E-K. Ben, did you ever think about going to school for radio? You have a very good radio voice you're very conversational and i mean that in in a very positive way i've given i I can't deny i've given it a little thought especially in uh, my career as journalism but there is one big problem i would have with that and that is after this podcast uh goes out on air um i hope to listen to the other authors but i'll probably skip over myself because i hate listening (laughs) to my voice it's it it's one of those things that makes journalism a little harder because I get these voice recordings, which makes interviews a little bit more conversational. And then as soon as I get to my voice, I reflexively hit the fast forward button because it, I might cringe so hard, I accidentally turn into a bagel or something. I don't know. It's a, it's a condition. Some some people say it's it's the voice. Uh, I thought you were going to say I thought about going into it, but uh, mainly because of the lack of money. And I'm like, well, the, you hit it right there. You don't want to get into I'm, radio. I'm a, for- for the I'm money. a journalist, man. If that were my concern, <laughs> but honestly, I, I do like also Star Publications uh, have also set me up really well. I mean, I'm a new journalist, but I'm and I'm also a dad with two kids. So, and Star, Star Publications really helped me along, especially in uh, in these times. But you know, again, at the end of the day, journalism is journalism. It's 
not exactly the medical field. So that's why, you know, if we can make Cyberwood a bestseller, that's, that's something I can live with. Make it a bestseller, sell the movie rights. I mean, that's, when you write, do you have certain images in your head of, of actors or actresses that could be playing these roles for your writing process? Or do you not think that way? I mean, usually I don't think of like, you know, actors and actresses in particular, especially because my name retention is garbage. I mean, that's one of the things I tell people. I went into journalism, so I'd have an excuse to write down names. But I usually do have kind of a mental vision kind of of what's happening in the scene, which makes things, I'll say, a little, a little it, it's, it's a two-edged sword. Because, for mm. instance, you know, I'm kind of watching the movie as it happens and then describing it. But I have a very abstract brain, too which sometimes helps in, you know, coming up with a good, unique sci-fi setting. But on the other hand, that means I'm I'm trying to translate everything from non-verbal mush into, like, okay, what are the words that are going to just encapsulate this weird thing that's happening? In I, I'm trying to take what's in my brain and put it in yours. And first of all, sorry, second <laughs> of all, it's... It's usually something that's like, I'm not sure if it's going to be a one-to-one translation, which is why I did like it when I, I ran this past beta readers. They're like, okay, this is great. Love how it's, I love the vivid descriptions and, you know, the way things were presented. And unfortunately, pacing wasn't killed by the way I had to describe certain things, which that's a, that's a bonus. Did you have a favorite book growing up? Ooh, that's a hole. That's a hole with uh, very, if there's a bottom, it's, I can't see it from here. And it's giving me the fear of heights. So let's go back to the phone. But growing up, I was honestly a little bit of the boring kid. Like, I, I was the guy reading the – I was the kid who was just pouring through the nonfiction books, looking at all the pictures and scientific stuff. If it wasn't that, it'd be like the newspaper funnies or compilations of those, which, I mean, if you read Cyberwood, there's definitely a vein of that in my writing when it comes to, like, comedy and stuff happening or it's just like – line line set up and then just punchline happens just kind of out of nowhere which not only is a comics thing but as i find happens more often than not in uh, real life too but it was kind of more in my into my teens that i got into like more fiction books particularly like red wall by brian jakes the chronicles of narnia by c.s lewis instant just a uh, great classic right there and many are just uh very eclectic collection of all that stuff. And then I kind of worked my way into, now I'm starting to look more into science fiction and like, oh, I'm liking the aesthetic of this. And I'm also growing up around the time of, you know, the first 10 years of Marvel, which mm-hmm. were just groundbreaking for the entertainment industry as well, as well as, you know, kind of fantasy and sci- soft sci-fi and that kind of thing. It was just stuff that really sparked the imagination. In fact, like there was one book I wrote, I got to the end and then I watched Guardians of the Galaxy and was like, oh, I got to up my game. So, so like there was that kind of thing. And then, so yeah, I mean, it was just a whole range of books and I've got so many favorites that persist into this day, like Hive by Mark Walden. I love the supervillain the supervillain school concept. It was just such a great book. I've got plenty of favorites and hope to pass those on to my kids too. But, you know, if they've got different tastes, I can't blame them. You work for the Sox Center Herald. Yep. And your bio urges us to ask, which we want we want to preface this if anyone doesn't know, Sinclair Lewis, American writer, playwright, uh incredible. Look him up if you don't know who he is. But your bio encourages us to ask, withholding this job, why does that make you a better writer? 
than Sinclair Lewis. Yeah, well, with that, uh, one thing, one little tag that's also in his bio is he's America's first Nobel Prize winning author. That's true, and, yes. Yeah, and here, uh, Sox Center is his town. It's his boyhood home. Like, I work a few blocks, like uh, two or three blocks down from that boyhood home. And, you know, he's he's definitely mark, left his mark on town, whether it's like murals and statues and stuff. And we still have, a, we've got a historical society, our Sinclair Lewis Foundation, uh, still maintains one of the longest running writers conferences, uh, probably in the in the Midwest, if not the country. And I do love being a journalist because that means they just let me in so I can cover it and I get valuable <laughs> writing advice. But but that's an aside. As far as the, me being a better writer, another thing with uh, Sinclair Lewis is you know he's you know he's got odds and ends jobs working up when he's uh, growing up, I should say. And one of his first official jobs was working for the Sox Center Herald. And it was consequently one of the first jobs he was fired from. Wow. Because <laughs> uh, by his own admission, he was not the world's best journalism. I mean, he, he's famous for saying something like, if the governor had shot the mayor down at the boathouse and I'd been the only reporter in the vicinity, I would have come trotting into the office the next day with a lovely piece on how great the sunset looked going down beyond the lake. <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> but he would sometimes, like he'd refer to himself as, you know, as an old journalist or a veteran journalist is kind of a joke. Well, okay, so... So we have Sinclair Lewis, who on one hand was fired after, you know, not long at the Herald. And then there's me, and I've been promoted to an editor, which <laughs> I like to think means that I'm a better writer than he is. So, I don't know. So, make, of that, make of that what you will. Or or you could make it your goal to get fired and, and win a Nobel in literature. <laughs> well, well, honestly, I did, uh, I did once uh, do a quick interview. Well, well, it was more of an interview. It was more in a formal talk with one of the a presenter at one of the Sinclair Lewis Writers Conferences, who was the, who was a longtime journalist. And you know, he, one of the things he said, you know, was like a good journalist should be fired at least once in his life because it means you know you've you've poked the the uh, sacred cow. You you're questioning things. You know, you know, as a journalist should do. You know, just you know, you should be the gatekeeper. Well, might not, you should be the gatekeeper. You should question things in the community. Make sure, you know, there's a reason for things. And, you know, me, I haven't been fired yet. So one of his wishes for me was like, you know, I hope you get fired someday. <laughs> and he was like, I'll bear that in mind, but we'll, yes. we'll, see, how far, we'll see how far that goes. Um, I, I'm sure my employers would greatly appreciate it if I did not get myself fired. But Lord knows I do. Uh, look, I do my best to look into things in a small community, which, you know, being a small community very tight knit, straight laced, wonderful place to be. Is uh, it's a good, it's a good thing to do. Good thing to be. Ben, uh, best of luck with Cyberwood. It looks like a, a great read. Congratulations on on the new book. Best of luck with it, and thanks for your time. Have a good rest of your week. Hey, you too. Benjamin Sonic joining us here on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Find out more about Benjamin Sonic and his book Cyberwood at Fox Point Publishing dot com backslash author dash Benjamin dash Sonic and that's S O N N E K. The Trevor J Brown Show. Food and Song Volume Four is out now. A collection of twelve diverse tracks from a variety of amazing musicians, all with Minnesota ties. From rock, alternative, reggae, gospel, experimental to acoustic, Volume Four has something for everyone. The premise of Food and Song is simple. You buy the digital album, you enjoy some amazing music, and you help local food shelves. Every penny we make from these compilations, after taxes and transaction fees, gets donated to local food shelves in Minnesota. 
Get your copy of Food and Song, Volume 4, or any of the older compilations at InherentDream.Bandcamp.com. This is the Inherent Dream Podcast Network, kind enough now to be joined by author A.J. Sullivan. You can find out more about A.J. on the Fox Point Publishing website, which is foxpointpublishing.com backslash author dash A.J. dash Sullivan. A.J., thanks so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Well, glad How to have you? you. I'm doing well. Let's talk about Bob E. Bear. Bob E. Bear and the Bully Bears is the latest book. I love this because he seems like such a lovable character, and he has several different adventures. Bobby Bear goes fishing. Also, Bobby Bear graduates kindergarten. Where did this idea for Bob E. Bear come from? It, well, in 1986, um, my youngest son was a year old at that point, and uh, I had both of my boys in the same room. And I decided to start telling them bedtime stories. So Bob E. Bear became a bedtime story. How I came up with Bob E. Period, I'm not totally sure. It just popped in my head. Unfortunately, ideas for writing pop in my head all the time. (laughs) So that's how he came about. Do you keep a a list of things going with, with all of the different ideas? I know for me... Sometimes I just have a journal where I'll I'll jot something down, whether it's a topic for a show or a title for a song, and it might sit in that notebook for, for a long time, and then eventually you look at it and it's like, what did I mean by this? Uh, well, I do have a list, actually, and I also have manuscripts that are done that that were done on a typewriter that's how long ago so um i do write do a lot of writing all the time and write down whatever i think of uh that pops in my head and i may or may not write about it i love the illustrations for for bobby bear and and the book yeah they're great i mean was it easy working with with your illustrator to to bring this vision to life uh, you know of bob to life was he kind of what you always thought he would be he is, actually. Bobby's exactly what I expected. Kayla did such a great job. And then for each of the other characters, uh, she made them look unique enough, but still relatable. So, yes, they're exactly what was in my head. I especially like the fish in Bobby Bear Goes Fishing. Author A.J. Sullivan joining us here. You can find out more about AJ on the Fox Point Publishing website, foxpointpublishing.com, backslash author dash AJ dash Sullivan. Tell our listeners a little bit about uh, a couple of these other books. I see a Hearth and Gnome, and then also Finkel and Franny as well. Well, Hearth and Gnome, um, I grew, I'm from an Irish family, and gnomes were always in the house, and in Ireland, Gnomes take care of the house and the property. And so when gnomes started becoming more popular, I thought I should take my experience from my childhood and put it into a book. And that's kind of what it is. I had bright red hair. My mom had bright red hair. So thus, the illustrations in the book are of an Irish family. And then Finkel and Franny is actually a true story as crazy as that sounds. We were moving across the country, stopped the first night at Yellowstone National Park. We had left uh, California that morning, stopped at Yellowstone, got up in the morning in September to snow. I wasn't going to cook. 
in the snow. So we went to a truck stop to eat breakfast, came out, and two flies got into the car with us. Those two flies stayed all the way across the country on the 90 and got out in Buffalo, New York, which is my hometown. Wow. <laughs> they they uh, they were uh, ready for a road trip. They were, and with two little boys in the car, they had plenty to eat. <laughs> You know, you talk about your childhood, AJ. You moved a lot during your childhood. Was was that challenging for you? Oh, it was super challenging. Uh, so in eighth grade, as an example, I was in three different schools in three different states. Wow. So somewhere along the line, I missed multiplication and division of fractions because one of them had already done it and the other hadn't done it yet. So yeah, that's the kind of thing that kept happening. And with my literally bright red hair and gigantic freckles i couldn't kind of hide and be the quiet newcomer i was you know kind of like a highlighter on a page and um so i was always picked on for uh for how i looked and sounded because i didn't sound like wherever i went unless i was in my hometown in buffalo so Yep, it was the whole thing was quite the challenge, but it shaped who I am now. And I can't imagine having stayed in my hometown my whole life. I don't know what that experience would be like. So, and unfortunately, with well, with my children, I also moved, but not when they were in third and fifth grades, I think it was. Uh, we got to Erie, Pennsylvania, and we stayed there until they both graduated. So I didn't want to do that to my kids. Mm -hmm. So that's why I stayed there. What was your experience like in the Navy and, and what inspired you to, to serve? Well, uh, it seems like it's a family tradition. My father was in the Navy. Two or three of his brothers were in the Navy. My brother was in the Navy. So um, I, I went to two years of college. And in the second year, my youngest brother passed away. And I just kind of got out of sorts and off, off my path or schedule that I had in my head and so I, I chose to join the Navy and when you take the ASVAB test to determine what job you get in the service I got a high grade and I wanted to be a German linguist because I already spoke German and then with my score on the language test they're like no no you're going to speak Russian I'm like no German. Yeah, when you join the service, you don't really have a choice. Just saying. So I speak Russian, German, Spanish, and English. Do you have a favorite? Oh, man. Well, English is easiest because that's what I grew up with. Yeah. <laughs> Besides do English? Have... Not really. I, I What I like to do, because I don't look like I should speak Russian, German, or Spanish. <laughs> and so... Um, when I hear overhear people speaking in those languages... I, I like to surprise them after they've been talking for a little bit. I've been in department stores where Russian ladies have been trash-talking the Americans and accidentally bumped my cart into their cart and then, which is, excuse me. Yeah. And the expression on their face is priceless. Oh, I'm sure. I had an aunt and her mother was born in Ukraine. And oh. she, uh, you know, they're both no longer with us, but you uh -huh. would, you would get those two ladies in the kitchen <laughs> speaking Ukrainian and, right. you know, the, the way they would talk back and forth to each other, 
I'm like, what, what's going on here? What's being said? Is everyone okay? They, uh, you know, it was just, it's just fascinating to me, you know, the different languages, uh, yeah. different languages throughout the world. So mm-hmm. I, I guess one of the positive sides, I know it was challenging moving a lot during your childhood, but you've been to 47 of the 50 nifty United States. So I have. what, what States are you missing? Washington, Alaska, and Hawaii. Okay. Plans to visit them? Perhaps. I would like to be able to say that I've touched all 50, but it isn't going to bother me too much if I don't. I have a nephew in Washington, so watch out, Corey. I'll be coming to visit. <laughs> Do you have a, a favorite place, a uh, favorite state that, that uh, you could say? It's kind of funny. So very often when people ask me if I have a favorite state, I say Spain, <laughs> because that's where I was stationed in Spain. Okay. Um, because of the the moderate temperatures and the laid back kind of lifestyle where we lived and um, the camaraderie, I think that was is and the the art and the culture was just different. So it was something that I really enjoyed. Uh, in the U.S., probably California again because of the temperatures. Mm-hmm. Minnesota is the coldest of the twelve states I've ever lived in. Because in Buffalo, it's warmer. It couldn't snow 12 feet in Buffalo if it was as cold as it is here. With with Spain, what's the weather pattern like there? I mean, is it is it does it snow in parts of Spain? Up north, yes. Up north, uh, there's mountains up uh, to the farthest northern part of Spain. So, yes, it snows up there. Otherwise, it's more like central California. Okay. You mentioned before I let you go. You mentioned you speak German. Can can we have you say thanks for listening to the Inherent Dream Podcast Network? If I put you on the spot. All right, uh, Danke, das Sie the Inherent Dream Podcast Network anhören. AJ, I appreciate your time. The books, I, I love the illustrations. I'm gonna have to order these Bobby Bear books for some of. Uh, <laughs> my family, because I just, I love the way Bobby looks. I appreciate you joining me. Best of luck with the books and uh, have a great rest of your week. Thanks. You too. Thank you for having me. Author AJ Sullivan joining us here on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. More information on AJ is available at foxpointpublishing.com backslash author dash AJ dash Sullivan. The Trevor J. Brown Show. Time to relax. Time to treat yourself. Time for a massage. Time to head to In Good Hands Massage in Malacca. In Good Hands Massage specializes in all types of massage, including deep tissue, relaxation, hot stone, sports massage, and more. They also offer salt lamps, essential oils, and much more. Book your appointment today or get your gift cards at facebook.com slash massage by Lindsay. In Good Hands Massage in Malacca, the official relaxation spot of the Trevor J. Brown Show. Big thank you to Benjamin Sonic and also AJ Sullivan for joining me on the program tonight. So what is coming up this upcoming week on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network? Well, tomorrow here on the network, we have bonus content Saturday, which airs exclusively on the Spotify app. And we continue to build our playlist of the thousand greatest songs of all time. You can actually follow along with this playlist on Spotify. Just search for the 1000 songs by the inherent dream podcast network tomorrow. 
We are adding songs from The Police and Tears for Fears and also Spandau Ballet. In the last month, we've added songs from The Clash and Coldplay, David Bowie, The Association, Prince, Roberta Flack, Kraftwerk. Lots of good stuff. Go back and listen to some of the old shows. Now, on Bonus Content Saturday, we're not keeping all of the shows up forever. I think the most recent Bonus Content Saturdays we have starting at the beginning of this year. So you're welcome to go back. They don't stay up forever, though, so you're going to want to go to Spotify and stream those. That is tomorrow, Saturday. Then next week, we're back with you, 763 The Local. It's the new morning show here on the network for our friends in Zimmerman, Elk River, Princeton, Malacca. Local news and information, your forecast, high school sports, scores and schedules, the community calendar. We look at today in history. We have business spotlights. We have interviews, birthdays, today in music history, and plenty, plenty more. And then we're back with you here next Friday for another edition of the Trevor J. Brown Show. And next week, my interview with Justin and Jenna Bakken of the Lime Tree Group. This is a fantastic organization that we are so excited to shed some light on. They were founded to impact the lives of children living in high-risk areas, and they are transforming spaces where these kids live, play, and study. The Lime Tree Group is planning to renovate orphanages in Guatemala and also community spaces here in Minnesota as well. You can learn all about it with our interview next Friday right here on the Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Thanks so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. Tell a friend, like us on facebook.com backslash inherent dream. And we'll talk to you tomorrow for bonus content Saturday and right back here on Monday for 763 The Local on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. This has been the Trevor J. Brown Show. The opinions expressed on this show do not express the views of staff, management, or sponsors of Inherent Dream Production Company or streaming services where the show may be heard. The Trevor J. Brown Show is a production of Inherent Dream Production Company. This is the Inherent Dream Podcast Network.